is Australia. There's fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms blooms for a time or two. But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Hello and welcome back to another edition of News from the Trough, the Batuta Advocates weekly sometimes fortnightly wrap-up show of what has been happening in the world of politics, a.k.a. the trough down there in Canberra. I'm Wendell Hussey. We have got our Laura Tingle of the Diamond Tina Shire. It's Les Burley, our crack political reporter who's been covering the campaign. Made a change from lifestyle and arts reporting. She is covering the campaign for us this time around. Joins us from Canberra. Leslie, how are you? Hello, hello. I'm good. I'm happy to be back from our brief yep. hiatus. And yeah, especially as things are ramping up, we took a week off just like Albo for similar mm. reasons. But we're here now yes. and we're ready to go. Yep. <laughs> yes, worth disclosing up front, I was kissed by the pangolin some 10 days ago. And while it might be a familiar story for a lot of people, I know I'm getting this very late to the party. I know lots of people have already had it, but I kind of thought I'd be okay through it. But my brain turned into something that you might see served up in an aged care facility to a senior citizen. It was just absolute mashed pumpkin, mashed potato, mashed sweet potato. I don't, I don't know what it was, but it was mashed something and it was mushy. So, yeah, it was an interesting time. But apologies if there is any brain mush, any COVID fog over this short and sharp recording and a disclosure that I am recording from my lovely four-bedroom project home in Batuta Heights and there is a few bits and pieces going on around around me so if there's uh, any difference in sound quality I'm not in the usual Desert Rock FM studio so getting all of that out of the way and just a quick note from us in regards to the show over the next few weeks from next Tuesday we will be going out live on Reddit Talks we'll be doing the normal part of the show where we run through what's been happening in the week of politics then there will also actually be a Q&A section so you can lob in and ask all sorts of stuff provide us with your funny comments give us a giggle, all that sort of stuff. So that's what we'll be doing from next week. There'll be more details to come, but it'll be coming out on Tuesday, going live on Reddit Talks and then having that interactive segment at the end there. So it should be a little bit of fun. Please do join us if you can. Now, we've got a couple of big topics to talk about. There's been a lot of drama in the Solomon Islands and the Pacific, lots of talk about national security. There's also been a uh, few battles going on in the culture wars as our conservative politicians and media commentators love to hash up, and obviously people on Twitter love to hash up as well, particularly on the left side of Twitter. So we've been talking a lot about what's been going on in the culture wars, so we're going to talk about those two things shortly. But first up, we're going to run through our tried and tested, our uh, little quick before we get into it. So we start off with the quote of the week, which probably couldn't have been anything else other than Albanese going on to Twitter a few days ago to say, following a routine PCR test this afternoon ahead of interstate travel to Western Australia, I have returned a positive result for COVID this evening. I'm grateful to know that I will have access to the world's best healthcare if I need it. Because of Medicare, I'm feeling fine so far, and I thank everyone for their well wishes. Now, we're expecting a strange campaign, Les. We're expecting it to be different to anything we've seen before. Inevitably, 
one of the leaders got COVID-19 in the middle of a campaign, just three weeks out from an election. Hardly ideal, is it? It's not ideal, but look, I don't think it's actually made a huge difference because the polls are exactly the same. It's almost as if mm. they've been running around saying some stuff that isn't actually uh, sticking to the electric that much. So <laughs> I don't think it's actually made much of a difference. Yeah, it's almost like they've just been trying to fan the 24-hour news cycle. I mean, there could potentially be some relief within Labor Party circles. It was a pretty tough first week for Albanese. Obviously, we heard a lot about a couple of gaffes, rightly or wrongly, but there was a few gaffes there. He's been in lockdown. Obviously, they've been controlling the interviews. There haven't been too many interviews, and the spotlight's kind of been on the other side. And Albanese did promise to lay low and have an easy, straightforward, no-drama campaign. And look, he's followed Mm. through with his promise thus far. Yeah, yeah, he's just faded back in. Maybe it's been a little bit of a blessing in disguise. He did um, have a pretty tough morning a few days ago, getting a bit of a lashing from shock jock Ray Hadley on radio. But other than that, it has been pretty quiet. I don't know. I don't know if there's been a lot of um, YouTube wormholes for Albanese, a bit of Call of Duty. Don't know what he's been occupying his time with, but he should apparently be out in the next couple of days and we'll be hitting the campaign trail again. Now, we move on to our clanger of the week, and it is from Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister. It came during the leaders' debate last week where Anthony Albanese and Scott Morrison went head-to-head over a number of issues with members of the public asking them questions. And one member of the public was Catherine, who had a son with autism, and she asked about the future of the NDIS, saying that she was told that her and her son's lives would be better off under a Labor government in terms of funding for the NDIS and so on. Scott Morrison responded, saying... Jenny and I have been blessed. We've got two children that don't haven't had to go through that. He said that, and... A lot of people were quick to respond, uh, saying that, you know, this was kind of typical of the condescending and pitying language that they quite often receive, which, you know, uh, doesn't really help anyone. As Australian of the Year Dylan Alcott said on Twitter the next morning, woke up this morning feeling very blessed to be disabled. I reckon my parents are pretty happy about it too. Feeling sorry for us and our families doesn't help treating us equally and giving us the choice and control over our own lives does. Yeah, so Scott Morrison initially kind of doubled down and defended his response by saying that everyone knew what he actually meant and he meant it in good faith, but people pushed back on that, arguing that, you know, language is important and the way that we use Mm. words around marginalised people is important. And so then after a bit of back and forth, he did later apologise. Yeah, he kind of, he read the room and I think decided that that was probably the best strategy for him. Also, lots of comments around the use of the word blessed and the religious connotations of God kind of being in control of whether your child is born a certain way. Yeah, lots of problems with that word. We uh, actually spoke to a local teenager about this story and as we reported uh, in The Advocate, the headline read, Autistic teenager reveals he feels blessed that he never had to have a dad like Scott Morrison said, he really loves his dad and, um, yeah, very thankful and wake up every day feeling blessed that he didn't have to have one like Scott Morrison. Now, our loose unit of the week we move along is to Senator Canavan, who told the ABC's afternoon briefing program this week. Yeah, well, the net zero thing is all sort of dead anyway. I mean, Boris Johnson's said he's pausing the net zero commitment. Germany's building coal and gas infrastructure. Italy's reopening coal-fired power plants. Uh, It's all over caused quite a stir amongst his national and liberal colleagues, didn't it, Les? 
Yeah, so Canavan is a Queensland senator, so he's trying to represent the miners and the farmers from the Batuta area and others. And look, it did not go down well because the party has come out and officially said that they are working towards net zero by 2050. Mm -hmm. And so then Morrison did have to come out eventually and he had to clarify this saying... Our commitment to net zero by 2050 is a commitment of the Australian government that I made in Glasgow. It is the government's absolute policy. But it does kind of reflect a bit of the argy-bargy between the Nationals and the Liberals and their different points of view on the climate crisis. Yeah, it certainly does. Even Barnaby Joyce, who is a, I mean, he's a noted greenie, I guess. But mm. um, yeah, he had to come out and just slap Matt Canavan down, told him to pull his five head in. If you haven't seen, Matt Canavan <laughs> has one of the largest forehead's known to humankind this whole situation reminded me a little bit of like one of those kind of fights that you'll have at a pub against maybe say an opposition footy team or when you're out on a bucks night for example you know there was the fight or the push and shove six months ago when there was this whole scrap about net zero scott morrison was going off to glasgow the nationals were refusing to commit to net zero scott morrison was saying it was happening you know there's that tussle that's going on everyone's kind of Bit of hoo-ha, a bit of push and shove, maybe a little bit of a jersey punch is thrown or a little maybe shirt punch Maybe a bit of a leadership thrown. spill, yep, yep. A bit of a leadership spill, all that sort of stuff. It eventually gets broken up. Everyone's kind of cooled off, you know. You've got kind of your McCormack and your Frydenberg off in the corner, you know. A couple of guys from opposing parties just having a bit of a chat, having a sip of beer, just going off. How about that? Yeah, geez, he's a bit heated, a bit heated. But anyway, everything's kind of cleared up a little bit. And then all of a sudden, your chippy little mate, goes, oh, no, fucking no. And he runs in and he kind of, you know, grabs someone or he says something controversial that just stirs everyone up again and everyone has to just run in and go, oi, 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 no, 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 settle down, settle down. That's what Matt Canavan reminded me of this week. You know, the yep. fight had kind of been settled and then just the chippy little, maybe like a halfback or just your short mate kind of thing, your short chippy mate who's always stirring people often up. The beta, often the beta, often the beta of mm, the group, which yeah, uh, seems ab- to follow suit here in this tale. Yep. The little chihuahua just winding people up. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see if net zero is really dead. Like Matt Canavan said, everyone's told us it's not, but um, he was pretty certain. So we'll wait and see how that plays out. Now, before we get into our two topics, just quickly make note of the polls and where they're at. Obviously, Scott Morrison's been on the campaign trail. Albanese's been in isolation after those couple of gaffes. Where's the lay of the land heading into the next couple of weeks, Les? Yeah, so like I said, there just wasn't much movement, even though Albanese took a week out of the campaign. So LNP are on 47 versus the Labor Party's 53, so there's six points of difference there. It is smaller than the 10 points of difference we were seeing about a month ago, but it's still a significant margin that has followed a trend for quite a while. There's been a little bit of movement around votes kind of shifting either towards the Greens or then back away from the Greens. So Greens are at 11 points in the primary vote now, but, you know, that was nine a week ago and 10 a week ago and 12 last week. And so they're Mm. just kind of coming up and down one point. And everyone else is kind of, you know, sitting in a similar place. Morrison's approval rating went down one point and his disapproval went up two points, which is interesting. Albanese's approval rating went up one point while he took a week off and his disapproval went down one point. Mm. So 
I don't know, this whole quiet Labor Party strategy maybe works. <laughs> yep, a little bit in politicians, the less we see of them, the more people approve of them. Interesting. Yeah, that's it. There you go. All right, well, they do tell us that the polls are a lot more reliable than the last election when Bill Shorten was famously swept, but I guess we'll find out in three weeks' time. Now, we move on to one of the biggest topics that's been making a lot of noise over the last kind of couple of weeks, and it has been in regards to all of this drama in the Pacific and the security pact that our friends of Solomon Islands have gone and signed with China, Les. Yeah, so rumblings of a potential security agreement between the Solomon Islands and China began to surface earlier this month, and those dealings have been confirmed now. And the deal would include China building a military base in the region, which has raised alarm. So in response, Australia sent two of our top intelligence chiefs to meet with the Prime Minister of Solomon Islands in an attempt to halt the deal. But that didn't seem to work. And since then, the United States has got involved. So the U.S. State Department spokesman Mm. Ned Price has actually come out saying that the pact would set a concerning precedent for the region as Prime Minister Morrison has come under fire for not doing enough to prevent the deal. So the White House has also confirmed that they're now sending um, a couple of representatives as well this week Mm. to share perspectives, to share interests and to share concerns. Yeah, and Japan are sending representatives as well. So people all around the world uh, who have interest in the Pacific are quite concerned about what this means for our security going forward. Yeah, and so Scott Morrison has spoken about this issue a couple of times and on Sunday he actually said... This is a shared concern, not just Australia. This is Australia with regional um, governments, particularly in places like Fiji and Papua New Guinea, Samoa and so on, and working together with our partners in New Zealand and, of course, the United States. I share the same red line that the United States has when it comes to these issues, and we're very aware of that and uh, actions that could be needed working together with our partners to ensure regional security, not just for Australia, but for the whole region working together to ensure that we don't have any um, negative influences here in our part of the world. So he's now come out and kind of come out pretty strong, saying that he does not want this to happen. However, he has received criticism for not doing enough earlier on and not picking up the phone and making the phone call earlier on, kind of echoing those sentiments around the vaccine rollout and all the other things that the Labor Party are pushing about Morrison's approach to these things. And so Labor Party MP Jason Clare actually attacked the Prime Minister's response, or lack thereof, saying... He had the intel and he didn't act. Yeah, because that's the big thing is Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton have come out talking tough that they're, you know, going to stand up to China and they're going to ensure that we are secure in the Pacific and do all this sort of stuff. And people are going, well, you were told about it a year ago. You've been told about it and you've been warned about it and we haven't done anything to try and prevent this situation from happening. Once again, coming out and talking about stuff after the fact, being very reactive rather than proactive so still haven't sent our foreign minister maurice Payne over there to try and negotiate a kind of different setup and win back the solomon islands favor yeah and we do have a history of not having a great reputation in the area in the last kind of 10 years and a lot of that has to do with our response to climate change so rising sea levels are a major threat in the pacific where many communities live in low-lying areas and this was a talking point during the recent tongan tsunami where some islands were completely inundated or even washed over 
And it was also a talking point when Tony Abbott, Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison were caught making jokes about island time and Mm. water lapping at your front door back in 2015. It was a reference to the prior Pacific Islands Forum in Papua New Guinea in which climate change and rising sea levels were declared the greatest threat to the Pacific nation. So the joke did not come off well at all. Nah, not at all. Um, Here's the little sound bite. It's quite tricky to hear, but here it is. Yes, uh, Dutton and Abbott joking about people disappearing into the ocean as a result of rising sea levels. Very funny stuff. Very funny stuff. And um, yeah, I, I don't really know why people in places like the Solomon Islands couldn't see the funny side of that. Just a bit of light-hearted banter. So that kind of stuff has been brought up in terms of our relationship with the islands as well. Labor Senator Penny Wong used some really, really strong language condemning the government's lack of action. Les? Yeah, so she actually referenced this incident explicitly, saying... We wouldn't have mocked Pacific Island nations about water lapping at their doors, which is what Peter Dutton did, standing next to Scott Morrison. Essentially what she's saying is if Australia didn't cut aid to the Pacific Islands, then they wouldn't have as much of an issue with us. And so Labor has pushed back, announcing that if elected, they would increase the aid that we provide to the area. They've also announced a potential expanded Pacific Worker Program, even the potential for Radio Australia to return to the airwaves over Mm. there. So they are trying to provide a point of difference, which is really tricky for Morrison and the Liberal government because they're the ones that kind of started this khaki election. Yeah. And it's already backfired. Yeah, there were some shots fired back from the government saying, oh, you're going to broadcast the ABC into the Solomon Islands. Wow, they're all going to be tuned into Q&A on a Thursday night. That should fix the problem. (laughs) So that was the sledge that came back in regards to the policy announcement from the Labor government there. But yeah, Penny Wong also said that it was the greatest foreign policy failure in the Pacific since World War II, which is quite strong language and does feed into what you're talking about there, the car key election. But anyway, back to the Solomon Islands stuff. That's what Labor Party has said they're going to do. We're still kind of waiting to see whether this deal can be dialed back because essentially the Solomon Islands, they're just to the northeast of Australia. They're about 1,500 kilometres away and concerns obviously being around a military base there. They can launch missiles, rockets, etc., launch a, a, an assault on Australia. Whether we're going to get to that stage or not, is you know who knows who knows who knows whether we're going to get to that stage or not but obviously china having a military base there is concerning but it has been raised since that they haven't actually committed to building a military base there this security pact doesn't explicitly talk about installing a military base that's just the conclusions that the politicians have leapt to and have started speaking about and constantly referencing whether they are trying to play politics ahead of an election or not yeah we see but it's obviously extremely concerning places like the united states and japan have moved to try and counter china's influence in the solomon islands we still haven't sent someone over there so lots of questions being raised around why didn't we do something more when we knew about this over the last couple of years and you know why are we hearing so much about it leading into an election cycle obviously it's not great for us if china have a military base there but you know 
probably should have done something a bit more uh, to kind of win favour with the Solomon Islands rather than ignoring them, so to speak, and then letting this situation unfold like that. But um, I'm sure we'll be hearing plenty more about it leading into the election and potentially if things get worse we'll be hearing about it after the election as well now the other topic we want to touch on this week has been the culture wars they've really really been stirred up obviously we've had a lot of culture wars stuff in the last kind of decade it's been a decade of culture wars but it's really flared up leading into the election and one of the major major flashpoints battlefields if you will for the culture wars this time around has been coming out of the electorate of Warringah, Catherine Devies really stirring up the debate around the participation of trans athletes in women's sport, Les. Yes, so early April, so earlier this month, um, Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced a series of hand-picked candidates for Liberal seats in New South Wales. So essentially what happened is the party struggled to resolve a series of infights regarding pre-selection, so he didn't have people to run for the election. Scott Morrison went, boom, here's your people, let's go. And this is actually something that's quite rare, it doesn't happen very often, and the decision was challenged in court. But the court rejected the challenge and upheld Scott's decision. So it's all kind of worked out mm. in their favour. And one of the people that he picked was the member for Warringah, so Catherine Devies, as you mentioned. Yeah, a captain's pick. Yes, a captain's pick, absolutely. Basically, you're doing it, dropped in, let's go. We've only got five weeks, get on with it. So almost immediately after the announcement, Twitter users dug up her prior feed, so finding historical posts regarding her views on the trans community. I'm not gonna read through all of them because some of them are pretty hefty, but two examples are, half of all males with trans identities are sex offenders compared with less than 20% of the rest of the male estate. That should tell you something. And another was in reference to seeing the pride flag. She said, I get triggered by it. Whenever I see it on social media, I think, what now? What are they demanding now? And I grew up with gay relatives and siblings. I hung out in Surrey Hills and the ex in Sydney in the 90s. So clearly she has a lot of lived experience being a part of the queer community um, mm. as someone who grew up in Sydney. She's actually an ally, you could say. Yeah, I, absolutely. Absolutely. It was right there marching with all of us um, during the marriage equality campaign, potentially in a different march. I don't know. But this discovery didn't actually get a lot of attention initially. It took a mm. couple of weeks for this to build in the media after a lot of persistent pressure from the LGBTQI plus community. And then so the first questions that kind of came about were, did the Liberal Party vet the handpicked candidates that they rushed through and not catch these kind of posts? Or did they vet them and just not care? Both are a problem. Both have different implications, however. So after mm. two weeks of kind of this pressure mounting and Morrison finally copping questions about it, this is what he had to say. She is a woman standing up for women and girls and their access to fair sport in this country. Now, I'm not going to allow her to be silenced. I'm not going to allow her to be pushed aside as the pylon comes in to try and silence her. Which is an interesting take considering it's rarely straight white people from the northern beaches who are silenced. So naturally these comments Not typically who you off. think of as an oppressed minority. No, no, I don't picture Scott Morrison... Catherine or the prime prime minister Tony Abbott as people who are silenced very often but no. of course as you said this has kicked off what our friends at Murdoch often call a culture 
war. And it's now somehow spiraled into a very specific fight about whether trans women athletes should be allowed to participate in women's sport. Yeah, and Labor opposition leader Anthony Albanese gave a bit of a cryptic response to this, trying not to kind of stir too many people up on either side, but not really saying too much. He said that girls should be able to play sport against girls and boys should be able to play sport against boys, whether his definition of girls and boys includes or excludes trans girls and boys seems deliberately unclear, kind of indicating there that he doesn't want to lose votes from the centrist swing voter pool of Australia, which, you know, people in the LGBTQI community have said it's kind of, it's a bit of a blow, Albo leaning into this stuff. Yeah, and it comes off the back of other comments he made about, you know, men not being able to give birth to babies a few weeks ago. And again, that one was kind of out of context as well. And he also was at Mardi Gras recently. And so the community's feeling like there's not a clear line from the Labor Party around this Mm. issue, a party that has historically, at least in the last 10 years, stood by the community on a public surface level. So this is kind of a disappointment for a lot of people. And this is all escalated as Tasmanian Senator Claire Chandler made the most of the drama and the most of the culture war, introducing a Save Women's Sport bill earlier this month, which if passed would effectively ban trans people from participating in many sports. And Prime Minister Scott Morrison has publicly backed this bill and the Greens have come out and they've thrown their weight behind trans athletes saying that this bill shouldn't happen. And in a bit of a twist, Labor Victorian Premier Dan Andrews came out and said that this bill was ridiculous as well and that there needed to be less fighting about this issue from Mm. leaders, kind of almost having a bit of a jab at Albanese, it felt like as well, which is another clear indication that Labor members have contradicting views on this matter and the Cata Party have said that, you know, they've come out and say it's not biologically fair for trans women to participate as athletes. And so regardless, all the parties are jumping on this as if it's a new issue plaguing our nation all of a sudden in the last month, which is pretty interesting because it's not. Many sports clubs have been, you know, addressing this issue for years and they have policies around this. And Mm. trans people have been playing sport for years. Trans athletes have been allowed to compete in the Olympics since 2016. So why has this kicked off now? Well, some would say that an election tends to kick these things off to attract certain votes from certain people, let's just say. Yeah, it seems like a pretty deliberate attempt to dog whistle because one of the arguments about it is that you know, it may actually hurt votes in the inner city and in places like Warringah for Catherine Devies and Scott Morrison, but it is going to play in the broader community with kind of people who feel and think the same things that Catherine Devies is um, kind of saying on Twitter. So, yeah, it's been something that they're kind of leaning into trying to get easy headlines out of and fight back against, you know, political correctness and this new wave of political correctness that, you know, 45-year-old blokes in kind of regional and uh, outer metro and actually places like Mossman and Ascot and Tuarak think is ruining their lives. So essentially, you know, if this isn't an issue that's affecting the majority of Australians, we really are talking about a small group of people just trying to live their lives. Why hasn't suddenly become a major headline? And I think it's everything that you had to say earlier there so you know it is harmful rhetoric that's been kind of dug up again and hopefully it's something that we can resolve and move on from pretty quickly and get back to the policies of the parties 
Yeah. It's a fucking stupid dog whistling tactic. Like, we're seeing inflation at the highest rate for nearly two decades, cost of living spiraling. We've got security issues with the Solomon Islands. We're still dealing with the fallout from the pandemic, a massive rental crisis, uh, employment crisis, all this sort of stuff that is going on. The future of Medicare is under debate. What's going to happen with the NDIS? So many of these big, big things are going on. And instead, we're talking about the involvement of trans athletes in sport, which realistically, I think a lot of people have come out and said, well, it just should just be left to the sports to That's work it. on. Yeah. They are the experts. Uh, since when was Scott Morrison or Catherine Devies an expert on sports? You know, they only do and engage with sports in regards to kind of trying to garner political favour. They're not sports people. So maybe let's just leave it to the sports codes to sort out and let's focus on other issues which actually affect the majority of Australian people uh, rather than, yeah, just trying to stir people up and dog whistle ahead of an election to try and win Get some the votes, votes from the so-called quiet Australians, yes. Yes, yes. that's it, because it's easier to do than actually trying to engage in helpful policy. And look, if you watch the leaders' debate like I did a few days ago, there were no questions about trans athletes in sport. No one was asking Mr. Scott Morrison or Mr. Anthony Albanese if they could name the WPI rate or the unemployment rate. People were asking about housing, about Medicare, about the NDIS, about issues that actually affect their lives. So hopefully our politicians can focus on the actual policies that improve people's lives that the majority of people care about, rather than just dialing into these kind of outrage issues and trying to stoke the culture wars. Let's leave the sports authorities to figure out what they want to do in regards to their sporting codes. That's what I reckon on that one anyway, Leslie. Yeah, I totally agree. If someone wants to kick a footy, They'll kick a footy and they'll figure out how to do so. Done. Yes. Just let them play. Now, hopefully we won't be hearing too much about it when we join you next week. A reminder that next week we will be going out on Reddit Talks. Make sure you join us. Uh, It will be a usual show and then we'll have the Q&A section, which will be good, be a bit of fun. So tune in next week and join us for that one. But for this week, my brain is all out of juice. It's backed. Uh, It's really reverted into the more sloppy, runny mush side. So that's probably where I'll leave it unless you have any anything else Les? Nope other than I hope you're feeling better soon and I'll see you on the campaign trail. Sounds good we'll talk to you soon all the best everyone.